Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you. You know, there's something right about waking up and getting ready to come to Christmas service in Wisconsin, having to shovel a little bit of snow. Once again, Wisconsin delivered, right? Uh, so glad uh, that that came overnight. That's a great question at the end of the video. One of the things that we love to do here at Woodlands Church is to ask and answer honest questions, and that's a very honest and real question. What in the world, how in the world can a baby born 2,000 years ago change my life today? We want to dive into that question today and take a look at it. You know, if you know the New Testament of the Bible, uh, the part that writes about Jesus Christ, you know that it basically does two things. It tells us about his life, and then it interprets his life to us. It tells us what that means. It tells us what happened, and then it tells us the significance of that. One of the books that tells us the significance of why he came and answers this question, what difference does it really make? How can he possibly change my life? Is the little book of 1 John at the end of the New Testament. And so we're going to be there in that book uh, this morning. But just two verses, two verses at the end of that book, after John walks through presenting his case for how Christ can change our lives, he summarizes really the Christmas story in two verses and four phrases. Four phrases that paint the picture of the whole Christmas story and answer this question, how can a baby born 2,000 years ago change my life today? So let's dive in. Let's look at the first phrase, put it up on the screen for you. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. As John goes to summarize the message of Christ's coming, he starts with this statement. This is the testimony. And right away he grabs you with that word testimony or witness. Because that word testimony or witness could be translated, uh, it's a word from the legal world. It's, not a, it's a word to clarify that, hey, we're not telling you a story. We're not making up a fable. This is not something that we're trying to just tell you to warm your heart. This is history. And so there, he says, the testimony, the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. If you know this book of 1 John, you know that John begins it this way in chapter 1. He says, this is, this is what we proclaim to you. What we've heard with our ears. What we saw with our eyes. What we touched with our own hands. Jesus. This is the one we're telling you about. So right away we know that this story is not just a story, as we use that word, but truth. The second thing that jumps out of, this out of us at this phrase is where it ends, that God has chosen to give us eternal life. Now that may seem straightforward at first because you think of eternal life as a, a measure of something. You think of life that goes on forever. And yes, it does mean that in the Bible. But here's the interesting thing. In the New Testament, when that phrase eternal life is used, it describes not only the fact that we can live forever, eternal in terms of the quantity of life, but it's also used to describe the quality of our lives. That Jesus came not to just change the duration, but the very quality of how we live. Many times in his life he would emphasize that in what he said. For instance, in Matthew chapter 11, he once stood up and he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you'll find rest 
for your souls. That sounds like something changes inside of us. On another time at one of the great religious festivals of his day, he stood up at the end of it and he said this. He said, whoever believes in me, the text says he cried out with a loud voice, whoever believes in me from his innermost being will, fro- will flow rivers of living water. That's Jesus' metaphor to say, you're going to be changed from the inside out. That's the kind of life I long to give to you. He summarized it in another statement that he made in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he said, I have come that people might have life and that they might have it abundantly. So the life that God gives us through his son is a life of both quantity, eternal, and quality that changes us dramatically. The last thing I want you to notice on this little phrase, in this first phrase, summary of the Christmas stories, it says, God has given us this. Everywhere when the Christian message is presented in the New Testament, this little idea that that it's a gift, that it's not something we earn or something we deserve is, is highlighted. What that draws our attention to is this truth that God saw, he, God knew and God saw exactly what we need and He gave it to us in His Son. It's not something we could earn, not something we could engineer or manufacture ourselves, but it's a gift, this gift of eternal life. God has given it to us to change our lives. There was a woman who uh, I believe grew up here in Wisconsin and told her story in a national magazine a few years back about going to the University of Madison. And uh, like so many students, she was influenced from whatever she heard around her to walk away from whatever semblance of faith she had heard growing up. And she decided that she would become a functional atheist. And uh, she went to the University of Wisconsin and found that that atheism did not fill, fill the whole in her soul, that it left her feeling empty and dead inside. And so she turned to Eastern religion and began the practice of meditation. She uh, uh, practiced a certain type of meditation where you grab onto a little phrase and you repeat it over and over again. She did this for about a year trying to derive some inner peace. But she had a problem. As she did this, she discovered that this phrase from Handel's Messiah kept coming into her mind and pushing out that little phrase that she had learned from Eastern religion. The phrase from Handel's Messiah was, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. So she went to her her meditation teacher and asked him about this, and he said, just just try and drive it out. Just try not to think about it. But the more she tried to think not think about it, the more she heard it, felt it, experienced it. She would remember the hauntingly beautiful words of Handel's Messiah, which if you're aware is all Scripture. This beautiful story, she kept hearing the words going through her mind. Hallelujah, the Lord God, the Almighty reigns for unto us a child is born and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it. And one day it dawned on her, maybe God was trying to get through to her to seek Him. Maybe, just maybe, there really is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince who brings peace and just a few short months after that dawned on her god brought into her life a fellow student who took her to scripture and led her to a personal 
relationship with Christ and our life was changed. God came to change our life to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Some of you may be familiar with the, the man Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was part of the resistance against the Nazis in Germany in World War II. He's a Christian man. Wrote a number of Christian books that many of us have read. And uh, one Christmas after many, many months in prison, as he sat in his prison cell at Christmas, he wrote a letter to his friend. And he said, there's something powerful about being in prison at Christmas time. Because the only way to open the door of this prison cell that I find myself in at Christmas is from the outside. I cannot open it myself. And that's a wonderful metaphor of what God did stepping into our history to open the door for us to have eternal life. It's gift. It's not what we do. But the question is how? So how does that gift come into our life? Next phrase tells us that. And this life, the text goes on to say, this wonderful summary statement says, and this life, this eternal life that God came to give, is in His Son. It's located in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the source and the fountain and uh, the uh, location of this life. You know, if you look at the life of Jesus and listen to what He said as it's recorded in the Bible, you'll see that He spoke often of life. And the fact that life was in Him, that He came to give it. So for instance, one time He stood at the, the tomb of a friend of His who had died, named Lazarus, and he, said, he made this statement about Himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And the life. He who believes in Me will live even if He dies. And he who lives and believes in Me will never ultimately die another place he stood and said this in john 14 verse 6 he said i am the way the truth and the life i am the life no one comes back to god but through me jesus talked often about the fact that he came to give life this text says and this life quantitative qualitative is in his son so if we look at and listen to what he did what he said, what he offered. We'll understand what, what the offer is on the table and how his life can possibly change our life. Read his life, study his life, look at what he said and what he did, and you'll see he offers three things that are life-changing. First of all, he offers forgiveness for us. This uh, phrase that's on the screen comes from the, the gospel of, or excuse me, from the book of 1 John. And in 1 John, that book began this way. It says, if we believe in Jesus Christ, His blood shed on the cross cleanses us from our sins. In chapter 2 of 1 John, it says, if we sin, and we all of course do, we have an advocate, one who advocates for us before God the Father. And it says, and He Himself, Jesus, is the satisfaction for our sins. What does that mean? That means that He would ultimately go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. In Jesus' own words, this is what He said. John, or Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, He said of Himself, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom or a payment for many, for any who would believe. He sees that my greatest need and your greatest need is to be forgiven 
for the sins that we have committed. And that's what he offers to change our life. Secondly, he not only offers to forgive us our sins, but he offers freedom. He not only offers to forgive our sin, but to free us from the tyranny of sin that destroys us. In this book of 1 John, uh, John goes on to write that, that sin is what destroys people. It pulls at us, it tugs at us, it seems enticing, it seems tempting, it seems like it promises to uh, give us more than it can possibly deliver, but in reality, it destroys us. And Jesus came to set us free from that. When Jesus began his public ministry at the age of about 29, when he came out of the obscurity of his father's carpenter shop, and for about three years began this public ministry where he would declare why he came and then go to the cross for us. When he began that three-year period, he did it by going to a synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, picking the scroll of Isaiah, turning the scroll or rolling the scroll to chapter 61 and reading why he had come. And here's what he announced that day. He read from Isaiah 61, which says this, I have come to proclaim release to captives and to set free those who are oppressed. He's talking about the slavery that, of sin that destroys us. This is how Jesus can change our lives. He can progressively set us free from the sins that would destroy us. Thirdly, how can He change our lives? He changes our lives by offering us friendship with God the Father. When Jesus' birth was announced in Matthew's Gospel by the angel, it says that Jesus would bear the name, among many names, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That because of the coming of Jesus Christ, none of us would ever have to walk alone again. He came so that we could have His presence in our life day after day after day, no matter what we go through. How could He offer all of this? And how could it still matter today? 2,000 years later, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that's why the Christmas story, uh, the Christmas history, always has to be presented with the Easter history, that he would go to the cross after that three-year public ministry, he would pay the penalty for our sins, and he would rise from the dead. And he's alive today, now, listening to us, knowing what's inside of us, knowing our hearts, knowing our needs and offering to us forgiveness, freedom, friendship. That's how a baby born 2,000 years ago can change our life. But really, you know, this second phrase, I said this second phrase answers the question, how can this be true of us? But really it doesn't. It answers the question, where is that eternal life found? It says it's found in the Son. It's the next phrase, really, that answers that question, how? And that phrase goes like this. Whoever has the Son has the life. There's a beautiful, I hope you follow it, there's a beautiful, relentless logic to the summary that God put in His Word. This is the testimony. Put it, make it the first person. I've given you eternal life. This life is in my Son. Whoever has my Son, has the Son, 
has the life. If this, if this little phrase, whoever has the Son has the life, if it weren't something that was right out of the Bible, it would sound almost sacrilegious. Like, how can we have the Son? The eternal Son of God, how can we have Him? And yet the Bible says that if we have Him in our lives, if He becomes part of our lives, that all of the gifts that uh, come with Him, freedom and forgiveness and friendship, become ours he's there's not one there's not three gifts really that have come to us but one wrapped up in the person of jesus christ and how can we have him by opening our lives to him by invitation john chapter 1 verse 12 put it like this but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of god Revelation 3.20, Jesus said it like this, Behold, I stand at the door of your life and I knock as one who wants to come in. If any person opens the door, I will come into him and will fellowship with him. This book from which this summary comes, 1 John, begins like this. It says, If we confess our sins, confess means to ask God for forgiveness. Confess means to say, I want to be done with this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Christmas history, the Christmas story, if you would, could be boiled down really to this. Christmas is an invitation from God to you to make an invitation to Jesus to change your life. Christmas really is an invitation from God. He sent His Son, and He now invites you to make an invitation to Him who rose from the dead and died for you to change your life. To offer you, to bring to you forgiveness, freedom, friendship. This is what He longs to do. And we dare not miss that in everything else that happens around this season. There's a funny story that comes out of the southern border of our country. Um, there was a man who worked for the federal government watching the border, and they were trained to look for smugglers and that sort of things to try and stop the flow of drugs and other things into our country. And as he worked for the service that oversees that, for the government, they were trained to look for people who they thought might be smugglers, whatever that training taught them. And there was a guy who came across one day in a big truck, and, and uh, he just thought, this guy has, I don't know what it was that he said, I don't know what it was that was the look or whatever was in his paperwork, but he just thought, this is a guy who's smuggling something. So he had him pull over, and he searched the truck. He looked under the truck. He had to you know, open all the doors, open everything up, couldn't find anything, and so he had to let him go. A week later, sure enough, the guy's back. Something again kind of made this border guard think that he's smuggling something. And so, you know, again, he, this time he got a little more invasive in his search into the truck. Nothing. Third time happens. Now he's got a body scanner, has him get out of the truck. He's searching this guy. And this went on for months and for years. This guy kept crossing at regular intervals every week, every month. And they could never find anything. And yet still this border guard was convinced he was a smuggler. Finally, the last day that he worked for the, the service that protected our border, this guy came across one more time. And he said to him, listen, I, I know you're a smuggler. 
I just don't know what you're smuggling. And I don't know how you're doing it. Today's my last day on the job. It's driving me crazy. I promise I won't turn you in. Just tell me, what are you smuggling? And he said, trucks. <laughs> you know, Christmas is this wonderful time of the year, right? Presents remind us of the gift of Jesus. The love that we feel as families reminds us of the love of God and all these wonderful trappings of Christmas. But the big point of Christmas that we dare not miss is that Jesus said, I came that you would have life. I came to change your life if you will let me. But there's one more phrase that makes this summary both clear and sobering at the same time. Let's look at it. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I love the logic, I love the beauty of this verse because it tells us something. It tells us God has spoken in history, acted in history to offer us eternal life. That life is found in His Son. If we receive His Son, if we ask Him to come into our lives, then we can have that life, that forgiveness, that freedom, that friendship that lasts forever. But if we don't, none of that is true of us. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have that life. That means there is no forgiveness apart from Jesus Christ. There is no freedom from the power of sin apart from Jesus Christ. There is no way back to friendship with God apart from Jesus Christ. Again, the message of Christmas is this, that God has extended an invitation to you to make an invitation to His Son to come into your life and change it. But He waits for you. You have to decide. You have to choose. And Christmas comes around year after year and reminds us that this is the essence of why Jesus came. What drives His passionate heart is to change the lives of men and women forever. And he wants to do that for each one of us in this room. I want to end our service, or end my time in the Word, I should say, by doing something that we don't do very often uh, in our culture these days, and that's have just some silence. You know, if you find yourself at this Christmas season, you probably have in checkout lines or wherever where you have to wait for five minutes or three minutes because there's two people in front of you in line. And what do, what do we do when that happens? We pull out our phone. We have to do something, right? Because we're not used to just stopping and thinking. And so I want to give you just a few moments of silence before the worship team comes to lead us in song and to, for you to express to Jesus Christ, who's here? Who's listening? That you want him, if you, in fact, want him in your life. To invite him by personal invitation to forgive your sins, to change you from the inside out, and to give you forgiveness, freedom, and a forever friendship so that you never walk alone. So let's bow our heads together in the silence and you express to him your heart's desire. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Thank you that you have come to give us the thing that will change our lives. 
How could someone born 2,000 years ago change our lives? Knowing who you are, knowing what you've done, how could you not change our lives? And so you've heard the cry of our heart. Be to us all that you intend to be to us. We pray in your name. Amen.